Well, good morning. How y'all doing today? In two weeks, we're going to start a new uh, series. Uh, we're going to be done with Acts next week. We've been, we've been uh, journeying through the first seven chapters of Acts since back in August, and uh, next week that ends. And so, uh, as I told the band this morning, if you've really enjoyed this series on Acts, I'm sorry. If some of you have been thinking, are we ever going to quit talking about Acts, then I'm glad for you that next week is the end. I'm going to miss it. I've, I've enjoyed what we've done. But I'm really looking forward to what we're starting in two weeks. Uh, we're going to start a series on marriage. And, and uh, let me just say this about this marriage series. If you're not married, uh, it's, it's still for you. Uh, if, you've got a, if you've got an awesome marriage, this series is for you. If you've got a terrible marriage, this series is for you. If you hope to one day be married, this series is really for you. Because uh, you need to go ahead and learn the principles now so that you can avoid some of the stuff that, uh, that we often fall into in our marriages. So uh, really looking forward to that. And I, and I want to tell you this, not just so that y'all can show up and hear us talk about marriage. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at four uh, couples from Scripture and, and the stuff that they experienced in marriage and how that speaks to us. Um, and that's great for us. But what I really want you to do is I want you to use this as an opportunity to bring people in invite folks. Uh, this is a topic that just about everybody you know in some way or another, it touches their lives. Either they are married, so it touches their life, or they're coming out of a, a bad marriage, so it touches their life. And so use this as an opportunity just to invite folks and tell them, hey, our pastor's going to be talking about something for the next several weeks uh, that, that you need to hear about. And and uh, you don't want to say to them, hey, I've noticed your marriage really stinks. You need to come to my church. And you don't, probably don't want to take that approach. But but uh, that's going to be starting two weeks from today. Um, hey, uh, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be going to be on the screen, Acts chapter 6. And uh, we've, been, uh, we've been traveling through the first few chapters of Acts for the last several weeks. Oh, and by the way, last week, if you were here, who, who thought I couldn't sit down the whole time last week? Raise your hand. Ah, ha, ha, you were wrong, weren't you? I sat my rear end right on that thing the whole time, and I never got up. But listen, I didn't think I could do it either, but I, but I, I felt like I needed to, and, and we did, so that was exciting. But today, I'm going to be roaming around as usual. Just get used to that. So. But Acts chapter 6, we've been, uh, we've been traveling through this story, and we've seen how, how uh, the church was, was born and, and how Jesus uh, was still on earth at the beginning of Acts, and he gave the, uh, the, 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 at that time, the 11 apostles because Judas had betrayed them and they had not yet replaced Judas. He gave the, the 11 a specific job to do and he gave them this, this, uh, this command that they were going to have to take the gospel to all the world and, and then Jesus goes back into heaven and, and then, uh, then, then they replace Judas with a new guy and, and then the, the, the Pentecost and the, the Holy Spirit shows up and Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved and and then Peter and John go to church one day and they heal a, heal a man who hadn't been able to walk for his whole life and then they get thrown in jail and, uh, and then later on they, the, uh, the, the, the leaders throw all the 12 apostles in jail and we've seen all this stuff happen. And so today we're going to start in Acts chapter 6 and just so you know, the first uh, three verses in Acts chapter 6 verse 1 are in those days and, and just so you'll know, between the end of Acts chapter 5 and the beginning of Acts chapter 6, most people who, who are smarter than me that have studied the history of the Bible and stuff, they will tell you that there's been some time that has passed 
between the end of Acts chapter 5 and the beginning of Acts chapter 6. So you remember last week, if you were here, we ended talking about how all 11 disciples, our 12 disciples were arrested, and then uh, they were about to be executed, and this Pharisee named, named Gamaliel stands up and, and kind of defends them. And so they decide to let the 12 go, but before they let them go, they give them a severe beating. Uh, they whip them on their chest and their back, and they go out of there excited for the fact that they got whipped. They were rejoicing in the fact that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And so between that happening and what we see happening in, in verse 1, there's been some time passed. Uh, some folks think it, it's, it's months. Some people think it, maybe it's even as much as a few years has passed by. And so Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, kind of to, to indicate the fact that there's been some time passed, he just says, in those days, in other words, I'm not going to tell you everything that happened from then on. This is kind of a connecting statement all the way to what happens now at Acts chapter 6, verse 1. So I'll start reading Acts 6, 1, and I'm going to read just seven verses is all we're covering today. Acts 6, verses 1 through 7 says this. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing... The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, that's the apostles, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumba. Par Anybody notice what I did there? See, this guy here, T-I-M-O-N, that's the way Timon is spelled in The Lion King. I don't know if that's the way he pronounced his name, but to now, since the Lion King has come out, we have to pronounce that Timon, all right, just so you'll know that. Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. By the way, before I move on from here, just a little preacher trick, if you know, we don't know how to pronounce a lot of these words any better than you do. So if you're ever reading Scripture and you come up on a list of names, the key is just to say it like forcefully and quickly and just move on, and then everybody will think it's right. So that's just... They teach you that in seminary, by the way, if you didn't know that. Verse 6, they presented these men to, be, to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So what we have here, if you've been traveling this kind of journey with us through the first seven chapters of Acts, and, and uh, we've been talking about this in Life Group and all that stuff. What we have here, you'll notice, is this is the first kind of internal church struggle that we've seen. The first really problem, relational type problem that, that has arisen in the church that, that, that they've at least documented. Now, Surely, when you've got this many people getting saved, we know by now the church is at least 5,000 members strong at this point because there were 3,000 saved at Pentecost, and then later on it said that 2,000 more came to faith in Jesus. And, and, and if we believe that, that there's been some time passed since the end of Acts chapter 5 and the beginning of Acts chapter 6, I'm sure there's probably maybe some thousands more. So this is a large group of people. Surely there's been some problems that we don't know about. But this was significant enough that Luke decided that he wanted to write this down and to say this was a, this was a problem. And, and what it was, was it was more of a cultural problem than anything else. 
You see, you had the Hebraic Jews. Those were the, the Hebrews. Those were the guys who, the, like the 12 apostles, they were all Hebrews. And, and so they spoke a language called Aramaic. That was the native language to that area. That's the language that Jesus spoke in when he was on earth. They spoke Aramaic. Well, now you've got the Grecian Jews, and that was a different uh, group of folks that, that spoke Greek. And they had a different culture and a different background. So you had these two cultures coming together. And and so there arises this problem among the feeding of widows. Now what you need to understand is in those days, especially, widows were pretty much the neediest people around. Uh, Women were unable in, in in most situations in those days. They were unable to earn their own income. They, they depended on their husbands to, to earn money. And, uh, and, and you had, in a lot of cases, you had men that died early in, in age. And, and so you would have widows who weren't really that old. They, 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 had, they had been married for a while and their husband died young and they were still fairly young. And so they were very needy. They needed someone to take care of them. And oftentimes, uh, especially in Jerusalem, that they didn't have family around because what would happen is a lot of guys, when they would get sick, they would want to die in the holy city of Jerusalem. They felt like that was closer to God or whatever. And so they would move to Jerusalem knowing that their, they were, their days were numbered, knowing that, that, that they were sick, that they didn't have much time left. They'd move to Jerusalem with their wife, then they'd die, and then you have this widow here, no family around her, really no way to get back to where she's from. And so the feeding of widows, the care of widows, was a huge responsibility that the early church took on. And I believe one of the reasons they t- took it on is because Jesus talked about caring for widows and orphans and those kinds of things. And so they, they just, as a church, they said, we need to take care of the widows that are in our church family. And we know now was a, a large group of people. So you had a group of Grecian Jews who noticed that the Grecian widows were not being taken care of as well as the Hebraic widows. And they weren't getting, when they were daily distributing the food, the Grecian uh, widows were being left out. And, and I think, now, there's some people that read this and they say, man, look, racism was even alive back then. And believe me, there was a lot of racism back then. But I don't think that this was necessarily an issue where one culture, where the Hebraic Jews intentionally said, oh, we don't like the Greeks, you know, we're going to intentionally leave out their widows. I think this was more of an issue of most of the leadership in the church were Hebrews. And, and but they, it just was not coming to their attention because they didn't have the natural relationships with the Greeks as much as they did with the Hebrews. And so it was more of a situation of people being overlooked. And, and I, th- I think that this scripture even supports that more because of the fact that all the guys that became the, the, these people that they appointed to take care of the problem, all these are Greek names. So when they said, okay, we need to be sure we put some people in place to take care of the Greek widows, they were all Greek guys. That, that, that got the appointment to do that because they, it was like they were saying, you know the needs, you, you're better connected with that culture than we are, you know the language, we want you to, to take the lead in taking care of this problem. So what we've got here is we've got the, the first kind of situation where there was an issue and really for, for, as we've looked through the first few uh, chapters, this is the first significant change in the church that really needed to be addressed or maybe some bad things would happen. And even when I, when I begin to talk about the word change, if I start talking up here and, hey, we're going to change a bunch of stuff, for some of you, you automatically, you get this feeling in your stomach like, ugh, change. And we just generally don't like change as people. And this was a change that was happening that had to be dealt with. And, and 
what I, when I think about change, really, as I thought about it, there's probably only about three areas that where where we don't mind change or that we actually want things to change. One of those is with baby diapers. We want those to be changed. Um, the other is with football coaches and with politicians. We want those changed frequently and often, right, if things don't go the way we want. But in every other area of our life, we want things to kind of stay the same, don't we? How many of you uh, shop at the same grocery store pretty much every week? And men, it's okay to raise your hand. I know you got like to go and pick up milk or something. You go to the same grocery store every year. That's your place you go. Have you ever, have they ever changed everything in there? Like one week you show up and all the aisles are different and, and where cereal used to be, now it's like, you know, feminine products or something and, and where there used to be, uh, you know, ham and cheese, now there's like vegetables and it's just all different. Has that ever happened in your grocery store? It's happened in the one that we go to a lot and it aggravates the daylights out of me because it used to be Sherry could call me and say, hey, can you go pick up this before you come home? Yeah. I was in and out five minutes, you know, go right to the place. Then you walk in one day, it's different, and you're like just wandering around like it's a whole new, you have no idea what's going on. And, and, and think about as aggravating as that change can be to us, how small of a change that is, and how that can aggravate us so much. Think about when things really change in life, significant changes, way beyond anything that has to do with, with just where you can find the cereal at your store. When those things change, what does that do to us? Well, that really throws us for a loop, doesn't it? We, we just don't, don't deal with change very well. And I think that there's a lesson or some lessons in this, these six verses of Scripture, seven verses of Scripture about change that can help us. And, and here's, here's the one big point that I think we can learn uh, uh, from, from this Scripture today, and that's this. Things change, deal with it. Things change, deal with it. And I don't mean that in an ugly way, but what I mean is, is that we've got to deal with change or, or it's going to kill us. And Because and, here, here's the thing, change happens anyway. Whether we want it to or not, change is going to happen. There's no way that we can fight it. Stuff cannot stay the same. In fact, anything that's alive has got to constantly be changing. If, if, it's, a, if it's a church, if it's a business, if it's a relationship that you're in, uh, no matter what it is, things have got to change in that, constantly be growing, or else it, really it's dead. Uh, someone told me one time that if, uh, if, if nothing ever changes, then, then you're in a rut. And if in a rut is just a grave with the ends kicked out of it. Because if you're in a rut, you just really are dead. Because nothing's changing. Because things that are alive, things that are vibrant, things that, that, that where there's things going on and, and, and uh, making a difference in the world, those things are changing. Things have to, have to be different. And, and that's what we see here in this scripture. This was, a, this was a big change in the life of the church because up to this point, remember what we've talked about, and, and you don't have to, to look at these scriptures, but just, I'll just remind you, uh, in Acts 5, 12 through 16, I'm going I'm to tell you about three different times that we've already been through and read through in scripture where there were kind of these statements about what was going on in the church. One of them was Acts 5, 12 through 16, and, and that's when it talked about that, that the disciples were... Uh, were performing miracles and people were bringing people out in the street just to lay down that hopefully Peter's shadow would, would go over them and heal them. And it said more and more people were joining the faith every day. And then Acts 4, 32 through 37, that's when it talked about that the believers shared all their possessions. It said there were no needy persons among them. It said there was much grace 
that was being poured out on everybody there in the church. And then Acts 2, 42 through 47, probably the most famous five uh, verse statement about the early church. It talked about that they ate together and every day and they, they were in the temple courts and they were listening to the disciples teaching and it said they had everything in common and they enjoyed all the favor of the people. So that's how everything had been up to this point. It was, it was wonderful. Like I say, I know there had to be some problems, but there were no real significant issues in the church up to this point, other than the fact that they were being arrested for preaching the gospel and they were being beaten and thrown in jail. But they were excited about that because that wasn't internal problems. And then all of a sudden, you have this huge change. Verse 1, there's an internal problem in the church. This is not the Roman government doing anything to them. This is not the Sanhedrin or the Sadducees having them arrested. These are people that are all believers. They all have the same theology. They all believe that following Jesus is the way to go. They, they, they all grew up Jewish and now they've accepted Jesus. And all of a sudden, in the middle of all that, there's an internal dispute. There's an internal problem. And it was a shift in the attitude of the church. And it would have been very easy for the apostles to ignore this. It would have been very easy for them to refuse to deal with this change. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but if you're honest, I think all of us would raise our hand and say that there's been times in our life where we've been guilty of just ignoring a change. That there's a change out there, that it, it's happening, and that something's going, and we just kind of, we just, we don't do anything about it because, because we're hoping that it, might go back to the way it was before. Maybe we don't really know what to do about it. We're kind of confused. Um, there, in, uh, when I was a kid growing up, if we wanted to buy a book, we would go to the mall, and there was a store in the mall called Walden Books. Did anybody ever buy books at Walden Books as a kid? That's where you bought books when I was a kid. Unless you had like a local book dealer, but uh, we didn't really have one near our house. So if you wanted to buy a book, you went to the mall and you went to Walden. Nowadays, if you want to buy a book, you go and pull up your laptop and you type in Amazon.com and you buy a book there. Now, Walden Books was a, was a company that had been around forever and ever. And, and back in the 90s, when the internet started to really be a big deal, that was a huge change in the, in the cultural landscape. That was a huge change in the landscape of business. And if, if the Walden Books people had, had decided, hey, we're going we're gonna to deal with this change because the change was coming. The Internet was, it wasn't going away. If the Walden Books people had said, we're going to deal with this change, just imagine they could have been Amazon. They already had the name. They already had the, the distributors where, where they could get the books from. It would have been so easy for them to set up the Walden website, lower their prices on that website. They could have become Amazon before there was Amazon, but they didn't do that. And, and the funny thing about it is that in, in 1994, Walden Books was bought out by Kmart. And, and so there was really no longer, the Walden Books was no longer really Walden Books. They, they merged with Kmart and then they became Borders and all this stuff. And in 1994 was the same year that Amazon.com was launched. You had a, a situation where an existing business refused to deal with the upcoming change. And the result was that in July of 2011, Walden Books filed for bankruptcy. And they are no more. 
Why? Because they refused to deal with change. There was a change coming, and they refused to deal with it. And in this scripture here, it would have been easy for the, for the, the disciples to, to just ignore this change. But they chose to deal with it. They chose to do what, what they should do. And see, and I know you're probably listening to this, you're saying, Cliff, this wasn't really a change. This was a problem. This was just a problem. You had people that were upset with each other. That's not a change. That's a problem. But here, here's the thing. If you really think about it, all problems are change. Just about all, every problem you deal with, it's a problem to you because it's different than it was before. If your marriage is, is happy and wonderful and, and one day your, your wife comes home and tells you she wants to leave you, your husband tells you he wants to leave you, that's a problem, but it's also a change. It's different. If you have a car and, and, and you go out to drive to work one day and it breaks down halfway there, guess what? That's a change. Uh, if you go to the doctor and, and you get a, a, a bad diagnosis of some terminal disease, that's a problem, but it's also a change. And the thing about those kinds of problems are, if you have a broken car or, or a, a, bad, uh, a, 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 a bad diagnosis from a doctor, most of us will deal with those, those changes, won't we? We'll deal with those kinds of problems, those kinds of changes. If, if your car breaks down, you're going to get it fixed. If you get a bad diagnosis from a doctor, you're going to take the treatment that they suggest. You're going to have the surgery or, or go into the hospital. But when it becomes relational changes, when it becomes relational issues, those are the ones that we will ignore. If you had a friendship and it starts to fall apart, a lot of times it's just easier us, for us just to ignore that. It's a change. It's a problem. But we don't really know what to do. We don't really know how to deal with it. If you have a marriage this bad, sometimes we'll just ignore it. Well, maybe, maybe she'll be in a better mood next week. Maybe he won't be such a jerk to me when he comes home from work today. And so we'll just ignore those problems. We'll ignore those changes and we won't deal with it. Sometimes it even happens in our own life. You got something going on and you're dealing with a, a depression or you're dealing with, a, with an issue and, and maybe there's help that could be out there but you, you don't really know how to get it or you're, you're kind of embarrassed to go ask for it and so you would just say, maybe I'll feel better. Maybe I'll start feeling better after the holidays are over. Maybe I'll feel better when school gets out and you don't deal with these relational changes. And it happens in the church, too. There might be an issue that needs to be done in the church. And you say, I don't really know what to do. We don't really want to be like that church over there, and so I don't really know what we're supposed to do. And, and sometimes we refuse to deal with these changes. And none of those things are easy. But what I love about this scripture is how the apostles, in verse 2, they acted. They refused to ignore the change. Now think about if they had ignored it. Look in verse 2. Look, verse 2 says this. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together. This is after the complaint. The twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. What if instead, verse 2 had said this. So the, the twelve were afraid to deal with the situation, so they continued to let the Grecian Jews complain, and they chose not to do anything. What if that's what verse 2 had said? What if that had been what had happened? Well, we don't know exactly what would have happened, but I, I can imagine if that's what the apostles did, imagine all the things that could have taken place. Well, one thing is there probably would have been a split in the church. 
The Grecian Jews probably would have gotten so angry after a while that they'd have said, man, we're going to start our own church. And there'd been the Grecian Jews church and the Hebraic Jews church. And all of a sudden, the powerful witness that the church had to the community outside would have been broken and, and people would have seen that as a, a big problem. The biggest problem would have been the Grecian Jews still wouldn't be getting fed like they were supposed to. So there'd still be these hungry widows walking around that were still needy. Uh, the, the other thing that would have happened is these guys that they appointed to take care of this situation, these were men with leadership potential. And all of a sudden, they wouldn't have been uh, put in a position of leadership and they wouldn't have been able to exercise those type of gifts where they could lead. So there's a lot of things that could have happened. But what I think is even cooler than that, though, that, 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 that the stuff that didn't happen as a result of the fact that the apostles dealt with the change, is what did happen because they dealt with the change. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this. So, now listen, when it starts with so, here's what you, you know about this. When the, word, when the verse starts with so, that means that everything that happened before this verse created what happens after the so, right? But, so before the word so in verse 7, it says the apostles dealt with this change. They appointed these guys, and, and, and these guys decided to, to go out and to, to help the Grecian Jews. Because of those things, this is what happened. So, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, here's what's cool about that. The word of God spread. That's been happening already through the first five chapters that we've read, which is exciting. The number of disciples increased rapidly. We've already seen that happen a couple times. You have 3,000 people saved one day, 2,000 people in a, in a short period of time another time. So that's great. But it, look, at, look at this last thing. that We've never seen this before in the first five chapters. It says, a large number of, say it with me, priests became obedient to the faith. Now you've got the guys who are leading the, the synagogues leading the teachings at all these places. These are the guys who, who most of them had been resistant to the message of Jesus. And all of a sudden it says, because of the fact that the disciples decided to deal with this change, they decided to act on this issue, they decided to put other men into leadership and let them do what they were supposed to do, that because of that now, you've got priests who are the most influential guys in town influential guys in the community that you've got a large number of them who are now giving their lives to jesus and becoming disciples and followers of jesus christ now don't you think that that is going to have a huge effect later on into what's going to happen in the story of the early church because now you've got leaders people who follow jesus now uh, who, who did not before who are leaders who are religious leaders that they're going to begin to share that, that message with their people so, so here's the deal. Whatever the change is that, that, that you've got going on in your life, you can't ignore it. You've got, you've got to deal with it. Because, because this was a small decision that the disciples made, that the, that the apostles made, and it had a big impact. And, and if, if we don't deal with our change, you don't deal with whatever's going on, it's never good. It's never good if you ignore it. Uh, I know that you have a, a lot of fear about, well, if I do deal with this, I don't know what to do, and I might make things worse. And, and the, but the reality is, is if you refuse to deal with it, and if you refuse to just let it happen, and, and you've got this relational change, or you've got this person that's mad at you, and you don't want to deal with it, and, or whatever it, whatever it is, and you just want to hold it all in, it's going to be worse for you later on and worse for them later on. So, But how do we do that? Well, we've got a clue in verse 3. It says this. 
Look at verse 3. These are the guys that they decided to choose. It says, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be, here's the key, full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. All of, all of the change that you have to deal with in life, you need to deal with it, but you need to deal with it in those two ways. You need to be sure that you're Spirit-filled and Spirit-led, and the way that you do that is you need to be spending time reading the Word, and you need to be spending time in prayer, and you don't need, and, and you don't need to fly off the handle at somebody. Unless you are Jesus, your first reaction when you're hurt, normally is not spirit-led. Unless you're Jesus Christ, which I'm almost 100% certain none of you are, and I know that I'm not, unless you're Jesus Christ, when someone, when a relationship begins to break down in your life, the very first thing you want to do, chances are, is all about you and not about the Spirit. It's all about you and not what's best for the situation. And so you need to be sure that whatever, before you deal with whatever the change is, that you spend a lot of time in prayer. You spend a lot of time seeking what the Scripture says. And you need to be Spirit-led. And then the second part is you need to deal with it with wisdom. Now, being wise and being right are not always the same thing. You can be right and mess up the situation worse than ever because you aren't wise in how you deal with it. There are times, not very often, but there are times when me and my wife will have a disagreement. And chances are, in that situation, she's probably going to be right if we have a disagreement. But if she deals with me in a certain way, it's not going to matter if she's right or not. I ain't going to want to hear it. But she's wise enough, and we've learned over the years how to deal with each other, and, and she's wise enough to learn when to, when to approach me. I'll give you an example. Um, I know that y'all are here, most of you, every week, and, and I know you can't believe this, but sometimes when I'm up here, I say some pretty stupid stuff. And uh, sometimes I say some stuff that might even kind of be offensive. I know, that's hard to believe. And uh, Sherry has... has uh, learned and, and is wise enough to know that the time to mention that to me is not as soon as we get home and we sit down to eat on Sunday afternoon. Because even though she would be right, that's not the best time yet to tell me that. So she's learned that she'll wait sometimes till Sunday night, sometimes even till Monday or Tuesday. And she'll say, hey, you know when you said such and such on Sunday? And I say, yeah. She said, that was really stupid. No, she doesn't say that, but, but she'll say it nicer than that. But the thing is, is, is we need to learn how to deal with things, especially when it comes to change, with wisdom. We, we did a whole message series, twice as a matter of fact, about the, the question that you ask before you do anything, which is, you don't ask the question, is this right or wrong? You don't ask the question, is can I afford this or not afford this? You ask the question, is this the wise thing to do? And before you go in to have that conversation with your boss, 
until you've got a relationship that's broken. Before you go in to talk to your, your husband or your wife or talk to your kids, you need to think through what you're going to say and you need to ask yourself, is this the wise thing to do? Is it the wise thing to have this conversation today? Is it the wise thing to say what I'm about to say? And, and, and even though I'm right, because I know all of you are always right, even though I'm right, am I dealing with this with wisdom? And am I, and am I dealing with this the way the Spirit wants me to deal with it? Being Spirit-led and with wisdom. Now, um, I believe that, um, that this message today, that when I started, started putting this together, uh, I, told, um, I told some of y'all this. And, um, when I looked through the first seven chapters of Acts, and I, I kind of tried to outline, okay, what is each message going to be about and kind of where are we going to go through these seven chapters. When I got to chapter 6, I had a different idea for what I thought this was going to be about. And then as I got into, um, got into preparing and studying and praying through things, I really, really, really felt like that God was leading me to talk about this issue of dealing with change. And, and the reason why I felt like that is because um, we, we've talked for the last few weeks about the early church, and obviously we're a church, but I haven't made a whole lot of direct comparisons between the early church and us. I've, I've really more talked about it and then given you personal stuff for you to think about and for me to think about. But I really felt like that as I was preparing this message that God was telling me that this was a message for this specific church. This is a message for Freedom Fellowship that, that we have to be ready to deal with change as a church. That there are some things that, that are going to have to change as a church. Now, I said earlier that when you hear people say that, some of you get a fear, and some of you are fearful right now that I'm about to make some crazy announcement. There's no crazy announcement today. I don't know all the details of the future of Freedom Fellowship. I've got a pretty good idea about some of them, but, but God hasn't, hasn't laid out for me a five-year plan and and, okay, in January of 2012, you take this step, and then in January of 2013, you take this step. That's not the way he's worked it out for me. But I do feel like that he is specifically saying that we need to be ready as a church to make some pretty significant changes. That if he calls us to something, we need to be ready to act on it. That we don't need to get so comfortable in the way we do things. And here's what's funny about that is a lot of you are here at this kind of church because you used to go to a church, and so did I. I used to work at these churches. You used to go to a church that was traditional, what we call a traditional, and you had pews and you had coats and ties and you had an organ and you, know, and you had hymnals and you sang out of hymnals and that kind of stuff. And that's where you, where you grew up. 
And a lot of you are here at this kind of church because while you were at that kind of church, you kept thinking, man, we need to do some things to change. We need to do some things different. We need to, we need to really do some things that will draw people in. And, and, and you felt like that that place wasn't going to change. And so there was this kind of church, and you were like, yeah, yeah, that's what we want to be. But listen, I want to tell you something. That even here with our screens, not one but two screens, and with our band and, and with our blue jeans and all this stuff that we do and with a pastor who says offensive stuff sometimes, with all this, even with all this being so different than those other places, we still resist change. We still resist change. What, what we're doing here is becoming the new traditional church, whether you want to believe it or not. It really is. And you can go to a ton of other churches just like this. Just in this county, you can find a lot of other churches just like this. And you can find a whole lot throughout America just like this because we are becoming the new traditional church. And what? And I'm, I, I don't have any, like I said, I don't have any wild idea up here today. But what I'm saying is I feel like God is telling us if he calls us to do something radically different, we've got to be ready to do it. We've got to be ready to embrace whatever change he calls us to do. We've got to be ready to initiate whatever change he wants us to do. And we don't need to uh, uh, just sit back and ignore what's coming down the pipe, but we need to deal with it. We need to deal with change, and we need to be ready and willing to go forward. Because oftentimes, change in the church can be the craziest thing of all for your life. Because everything else goes wild. You lose your job, your marriage goes bad, but at least you come to church and you know what to expect. You went to the, you know, the church that I grew up in, I knew that no matter what was going on, we were going to come in and we were going to sing out of hymnals and we were going to do the doxology at the end of the service and we were going to sing Amazing Grace about once every three or four weeks and we were going to have the Lord's Supper four times a year and I could count on that. That wasn't going to change. And you might come here and you're going to say, I know that Chris is going to stand up here and we're going to do a song and then we're going to have a welcome. Then we're going to do another song and then we're going to have the offertory prayer and then we're going to do another song and then Cliff's going to stand up and preach. Then we're going to do a closing song and then we go home and we go to El Mariachi and then we come back next Sunday and we do it again. And it becomes the same thing over and over again. And we want that to stay the same. And we're going to do life groups from February to May and from September to November and we got the summer off and that's going to stay the same. But what I'm telling you that God is telling me is we can't be afraid to change. We've got to be willing to deal with it. I love the example that the apostles set. Here was an issue. Here was a change. And they said, we're going to take it head on. We're going to deal with it. We're going to do something that God has called us to do. And we're going to put men in charge. And we're going to let them lead. So this is what... Um, this is what I want us to do today because in order for us to do what God wants us to do as a church, in order for us to see results like they saw in verse 7 where it says lots of people got saved and, and influential people got saved, in order for us to see that happen in this community, for us to deal with that kind of change, we've got to be filled with the Spirit and we've got to deal with things in wisdom. And so uh, I'd like right now for our staff and elders, those that are here, I want you to come down and stand right here at the front. If you're on staff or if you're an elder, come down here and stand right at the front. Now, here, here's, here's what I want us to do. Whatever the change is God has for us, in order for us to, to recognize this change, to deal with it, to initiate it, these are the people that are going to lead that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be our staff and our elders who are going to lead that, who are going to be out on the cutting edge of that, who are going to be the ones 
you know, saying, we feel like this is the direction we need to go and this is where we're going. And, 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 and they go at it as hard as they can and, and they, they gather together folks and they put together teams and they, and they work as hard as they can to do that. And we need to be sure that us as a staff and us as a group of elders, that we are filled with the Spirit and that we're dealing with things in wisdom. And so this is what I want us to do. I'm going to say a prayer, but I want, as I pray, and I want y'all to go ahead and come down. If you're a partner with this church, I want you to come forward and I want you to gather around these folks and I want you to lay hands on them just like they did in the Scripture. So if you're a partner, I want you to come forward and lay hands on these folks. And if you can't touch somebody, touch somebody who's touching somebody. Hey, y'all wad up a little closer. Get in a little closer because we've got a lot of folks coming. There you go. Nice. Now I'm going to say a prayer. And what we're praying for is just that, that we will be filled with the Spirit, that we will have wisdom, And then we'll do whatever it is that God wants us to do. All right? Let's pray together. Father God, you have given us so many good examples in Scripture of how we are to live. And thank you for the shining example of the twelve. And how when an issue arose, when a change happened, that they didn't ignore it, but they dealt with it. And God, I, I don't know what all the future is for Freedom Fellowship, but we know that this is your church that we are blessed to be a part of your church, that you established this church, that it was your idea from the beginning, that this is the church that that you sent your son to die for. This is the church that you support week in and week out. This is the church that, that needs your spirit to move for anything to happen. So this is all yours, Lord. And whatever the future plans are that you have for this church, we don't want to miss out on any of them. God, we want to... We want to be willing to change everything or nothing based on whatever you say. And so, Father, I really believe that you are, are telling us that there's going to be some changes. We don't know what all those are yet, but, but we, we don't want to miss those. And so we pray for these, le- these leaders, Lord, these that, that have uh, taken positions of leadership in this church. We pray that you would fill them with your spirit that every day that they would be getting encouragement from your word, that every day that they would be um, joining together to pray and to, to seek you. And God, we pray that you would give them wisdom, that, that it wouldn't just be about um, doing uh, the right thing, but it would be doing the right thing in the wisest possible way. And that we would be sure that everything that's said and done here glorifies you. Lord, we want nothing more than for this church to become what you want it to be. And uh, thank you for blessing us, God. Thank you for giving us this place to meet. Thank you for giving us this fellowship of believers to be a part of. You are a good, kind, and loving God. And we pray for your spirit's filling, and we pray for wisdom. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, this is how I want us to end. Um, The band's heading up here now and we're going to have a closing song in just a minute but um the way i want us to end is uh i just want you partner not a partner elder staff whoever you are everybody stand up whoever you are i just want you to begin to pray daily for this church and for what your role is in this church that that you're that you would know exactly what it is that you're supposed to be doing as, as it relates to the ministry of this church and in this community. And just begin to pray and ask God that. Begin to pray and, and ask God that, 
that to, to take away any of your preconceived notions and ideas, but to say, God, this is your church, and what is my role in it, even if it's something that I never figured that it would be, even if it's something that totally takes me by surprise. And then the other thing I want you to do is, if you've got change in your life that's happened to you, maybe out of your control or maybe you caused it, deal with it. Don't ignore it. Deal with it. It might be painful. Maybe you don't know what to do, what to say, but deal with it because it's going to be so much healthier and it's going to give God so much more of an opportunity to have the glory if you deal with it than if you ignore it and allow the situation to get worse. Let's sing this closing song. Invite someone to come back with you next week. And then two weeks from now, remember, we're starting a new series on marriage. Be telling folks about that. Good to see you. Let's come back next week.